Chapter Three of Santa Claus's Partner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eddie Winter. Santa Claus's Partner by Thomas Nelson Page. Chapter Three. A noise in the outer office recalled Livingstone from his reverie. He aroused himself almost with a start, and glanced at the gilt clock just above the stock indicator. He had been so absorbed that he had quite forgotten that he had told the clerks to wait for him. He had had no idea that he had been at work so long. He reflected, however, that he had been writing charity checks. The clerks ought to appreciate the fact. He touched a button and the next second there was a gentle tap on the door, and Clark appeared. He was just the person to give just such a tap. A refined-looking, middle-aged, middle-sized man, with a face rather pale and a little worn, a high, calm forehead, above which the grizzled hair was almost gone, mild blue eyes which beamed through black-rimmed glasses, a pleasant mouth which a drooping, colourless moustache only partly concealed, and a well-formed but slightly retreating chin. His figure was inclined to be stout, and his shoulders were slightly bent. He walked softly, and as he spoke his voice was gentle and pleasing. There was no assertion in it, but it was perfectly self-respecting. The eyes and voice redeemed the face from being commonplace. "'Oh, Mr. Clark, I did not know I should have been so long about my work.' I was so engaged getting my book straight for you, and writing a few checks for my annual contributions to hospitals, etc., that the time slipped by. The tone was unusually conciliatory for Livingstone, but he still retained it in addressing Clark. It was partly a remnant of his old-time relation to Mr. Clark, when he, yet a young man, first knew him, and partly a recognition of Clark's position as a man of good birth who had been unfortunate and had a large family to support oh that's all right mr livingstone said the clerk pleasantly he gathered up the letters on the desk and was unconsciously pressing them into exact order shall i have these mailed or sent by a messenger mail them of course said livingstone and clerk i want you to i thought possibly that as to-morrow is began the clerk in explanation but stopped as livingstone continued speaking without noticing the interruption I have been going over my matters, pursued Livingstone, and they are in excellent shape, better this year than ever before. The clerk's face brightened. That's very good, said he, heartily. I knew they were. Yes, very good indeed, said Livingstone, condescendingly, pausing to dwell for a second on the sight of the line of pallid figures which suddenly flashed before his eyes. And I have got everything straight for you this year and I want you to come up to my house this evening and go over the books with me quietly, so that I can show you. This evening the clerk's countenance fell, and the words were as near an exclamation as he ever indulged in. Yes, this evening. I shall be at home this evening, and tomorrow evening. Why not this evening? demanded Livingstone, almost sharply. Why, only that it's... However, the speaker broke off. I'll be there, sir. About eight-thirty, I suppose? Yes, said Livingstone curtly. He was miffed, offended, aggrieved. He had intended to do a kind thing by this man, 
and he had met with a rebuff. "'I expect to pay you,' he said coldly. The next second he knew he had made an error. A shocked expression came involuntarily over the other's face. "'Oh, it was not that. It was—' He paused, reflected half a second. "'I'll be there,' he added, and turning quickly withdrew, leaving Livingstone feeling very blank, and then somewhat angry. He was angry with himself for making such a blunder, and then angrier with the clerk for leading him into it. "'That is the way with such people,' he reflected. "'What is the use of being considerate and generous?' No one appreciates it. The more he thought of it, the warmer he became. Had he not taken Clark up ten, fifteen years ago, when he had not a cent in the world, and now he was getting fifteen hundred dollars a year, yes, sixteen hundred, and almost owned his house, and he had made every cent for him. At length Livingstone's sense of injury became so strong he could stand it no longer. He determined to have a talk with Clark. He opened the door and walked into the outer office. One of the younger clerks was just buttoning up his overcoat. Livingstone detected a scowl on his face. The sight did not improve Livingstone's temper. He would have liked to discharge the boy on the spot. How often had he ever called on them to wait? He knew men who required their clerks to wait always until they themselves left the office, no matter what the hour was. He himself would not do this. He regarded it as selfish. But now, when it had happened by accident, this was the return he received. He contented himself with asking somewhat sharply where Mr. Clark was. Believe he's gone to the telephone, said the clerk sulkily. He picked up his hat and said good night hurriedly. He was evidently glad to get off. Livingstone returned to his own room, but left the door ajar so that he could see Clark when he returned. When, however, a few moments afterwards Clark appeared, Livingstone had called down. Why should he expect gratitude? He did not pay Clark for gratitude, but for work, and this the clerk did faithfully. It was an ungrateful world, anyhow. At that moment there was a light knock at the outer door, and on Clark's bidding someone entered. Livingstone, from where he sat, could see the door reflected in a mirror that hung in his office. The visitor was a little girl. She was clad in a red jacket, and on her head was a red cap, from under which her hair pushed in a profusion of ringlets. Her cheeks were like apples, and her whole face was glowing from the frosty air. It was just her head that Livingstone saw first, as she poked it in and peeped around. Then, as Mr. Clark sat with his back to the door, and she saw that no one else was present, the visitor inserted her whole body, and, closing the door softly, with her eyes dancing, and her little mouth puckered up in a mischievous way, she came on tiptoe across the floor, stealing towards Clark until she was within a few feet of him, when with a sudden little rush she threw her arms about his head and clapped her hands quickly over his eyes. "'Guess who it is!' she cried. Livingstone could hear them through the open door. Bluebeard, hazarded Miss Clark. No. Queen Victoria? No. Mary Queen of Scots? I know it's the Queen. No. Now you're not guessing. It isn't any Queen at all. Yes, I am. Oh, I know. Santa Claus? No. 
but somebody that knows about him. Mr. Livingstone was not sure that he caught the name. No, in a very emphatic voice, and with a sudden stiffening and a vehement shake of the head. Livingstone knew now whose name it was. Now if you guess right this time, you'll get a reward. What reward? Why, Santa Claus will bring you a whole lot of nice... I don't believe that. He will be too busy with some other folks. I know who... No, he won't. I know he's going to bring you... Oh! She suddenly took one hand from Clark's eyes and clapped it over her mouth, but next second replaced it. And besides, I'll give you a whole lot of kisses. Oh, yes, I know. The princess with the golden locks. Santa Claus's partner. The sweetest little kitten in the world. And her name is... Kitty Clark. Mmm, mmm. And on a sudden, the arms were transferred from about the forehead to the neck, and the little girl with her sunny head canted to one side was making good her promise of reward. Livingstone could hear the kisses. The next second they moved out of the line of reflection in Livingstone's mirror, but he could still catch fragments of what they said. Clark spoke too low to be heard, but now and then Livingstone could catch the little girl's words. Indeed, he could not help hearing her. Oh, Papa, she exclaimed in a tone of disappointment, replying to something her father had told her. But, Papa, you must come. You promised. Again, her father talked to her low and soothingly. But, Papa, I'm so disappointed. I've saved all my money just to have you go with me. And, Mamma, I'll go and ask him to let you come. Her father evidently did not approve of this and the next moment he led the child to the door, still talking to her soothingly, and Livingstone heard him kiss her, and tell her to wait for him below. Livingstone let himself out of his side door. He did not want to meet Clark just then. He was not in a comfortable frame of mind. He had a little headache. As he turned into the street, he passed the little girl he had seen upstairs. She was wiping her little smeared face with her handkerchief, and had evidently been crying. Livingstone, as he passed, caught her eye, and she gave him such a look of hate that it stung him to the quick. The little serpent, thought he. Here he was supporting her family, and she looking as if she could tear him to pieces. It showed how ungrateful this sort of people were. End of chapter 3